Welcome to the Staying Golden Podcast, where we'll be catching up with Laurier alumni to give the Laurier community a glimpse of what the future may hold after graduation. We would like to acknowledge that Wilfrid Laurier University and its campuses are located on the Haldeman Track, traditional territory of the Neutral, Anishinaabe, and Haudenosaunee peoples. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Staying Golden Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Hogan, and today we're back with another Laurier alumni who's doing amazing things. I have with me here Sydney Bang, who graduated in 2019 with a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology and Physical Education, but has now found a career in data analytics at Spotify. Sydney, thanks so much for being here. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for taking time to be here. So just kind of a quick get-to-know-you question to start out here. How would you say you typically spend a Sunday afternoon? Ooh, I think it depends on, like, where I am. But if I'm in Toronto, I like to, like, work out in the mornings and then getting my life together for the rest of the week. And then usually involve hanging out with some friends, grabbing brunch. Yeah, very adult answer, though. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so... The first part of the podcast, we usually talk about Laurier experiences and kind of what happened during your time at Laurier. So my first question for you goes a little bit back before Laurier. I'm wondering why you chose to go to Laurier for your undergrad. I don't really know like what made me choose Laurier specifically, but I knew that like when I was in high school, I wanted to major in kinesiology and the two options were deciding between a BA or a BSc. Um... And I think that the year that I had entered Laurier, which was, I think, 2015, it was actually the first cohort of their BKIN program, which is supposed to be a mix of both. But then you actually come out under the Faculty of Science. It was kind of like an easy decision for me on that end because it just made it a lot easier having a BKIN instead of having to choose between the BA or BSc. Also, I'm, I'm from Mississauga, so I knew that I didn't want to commute to school. I wanted to live on campus and have that like full experience of, you know, living with my friends and, you know, having roommates and not having to worry about driving to like UFT or like your campus. And I think that Laurier as a small school, it just made it more inviting to know that it was going to be a small community. And also my brother went to Laurier, so it just made things really easy. Yeah, for sure. I totally get that too. Coming from Toronto, I didn't want to take the hour go train trip every day to go to UFT, which is a big reason I came here as well. So yeah, I get that a lot. So when you were going into kinesiology, did you have a specific career that you wanted to get out of that? I would say that when I was in grade 12, probably the latter half of my grade 12 year is when I was like, oh, maybe I would like to become a paramedic. But because that was, I would say, the more last minute decision, kinesiology was just an easy decision for me because I have always been very into sport. I've played a lot of sports growing up. I played rugby at Laurier and I'm just like a very active person in general. And I thought that would be really interesting to learn about the human body and all things related. And then maybe if I don't want to go into being an EMS, I can go in physio or chiro or strength and conditioning. And I know that you don't necessarily need a bachelor's to become a paramedic, but even if I wanted to advance in the world of paramedicine, a degree would make things a lot easier. And I think just like open your options a lot. So I figured I would use the four years of doing an undergrad to actually decide and figure out, you know, do I really want to be a paramedic or do I want to just do more school or I don't know, what will my life look like in four years? Uh, who knows what'll happen. Okay, well, that's interesting. So do you feel like you put a lot of thought into that decision or it was just something that was there and felt easy to grab? 
Yeah, I feel like it was more just easy. I couldn't imagine myself really doing anything else. I wanted to actually be genuinely interested in the things that I was learning. To be honest, I wasn't a super academic person, I feel like, in high school. I never struggled in school, but like it was just not my main focus. I focused on having fun, enjoying, you know, doing things like doing a lot of extracurriculars and stuff like that. Yeah, the goal was never super academically driven. It was just, oh, I will have a lot of fun with this and really enjoy this. Awesome. Okay. So kind of on that thread of having fun outside of your academics, did you have a chance to get involved in any extracurriculars when you were at Lori? Yeah, I feel like I did so much on campus and off campus, you know, aside from from varsity rugby, which took up, you know, so much of my time, but mainly in the beginning half of, of the year, because that's when, you know, season is, you have practice five, six days a week, and then you have your games and all that stuff. I played a lot of intramural sports. I remember when I was in my first year, I joined rack which was the athletic council or something like that i played volleyball there and then i i played powder puff in the winters which was the flag football in the winter for the women's league i did that and then i used to also work at the ac i was a personal trainer so not only did i train people who went to you know who signed up for personal training i made a lot of friends through just working at the ac i feel like oh and then i also did exchange which is technically on and off campus because you know you don't you don't do school in at Laurier. So I went to Australia for a few months. Yeah, it sounds like you had tons of like a super wide variety of experiences, which is awesome. Can you pinpoint maybe what were some of your best memories from your time at Laurier? Ooh, I feel like varsity rugby for sure has to be my favorite memory just because it took up so much of my time and. I've made some like really incredible friends through that. You know, your teammates are just kind of your sisters when you go through, I would like to call it trauma bonding, but <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It's just like, you know, when you're out in the grueling hot sun, you know, you come to campus a bit earlier in the summer, you know, before the season actually starts. And then, you know, you're out on the field practicing, you're doing chalk talks, you have your post and pregame antics, whatever your team does. <laughs> And yeah, so I think that for sure, rugby was my best memory and the biggest, but also I really just love the people in my program. I think that the Beacon cohort was pretty small, especially in my year. I think it was anywhere from 150 to 300 students. And, you know, as the years passed, it grew smaller and smaller. So, you know, you're in classes with 20, 30 people and you know all of them, it would be like, honestly, really weird if I walked into a kin class and I didn't know more than half the class kind of thing. Because at, at a certain point, you just like start taking classes with literally everyone, depending on what track of kin you decide to take. Because I think there are like four different types of things that you could focus on, whether it's health and promotion, fitness, education. But yeah, I would say like just having all of my friends in my classes also just made it such a fun thing. And then I guess the last thing would be Powderpuff. Powderpuff was super fun. And it was like a really fun way to like meet not only like other athletes who play powder puff, but yeah, good time. Awesome. So thinking about kind of moving beyond Laurier, I understand that you, you're talking about working away in Korea for a little bit. Uh, so what was that like and how'd you get into that? Yeah, so I did that in my last semester of my fourth year. So I didn't actually finish my time off at Laurier. I was in Korea. So the way that that came about, honestly, it wasn't a super 
planned thing <laughs> as you know everything else in my life it kind of seems like so I think when I was in my third year it was my dad had mentioned that he had a friend whose daughter had done the exact same thing there's like a specific program for people who don't have their undergrad or like a teaching certificate go teach in Korea for anywhere from like six months to two years I was looking at that as an option and then I was also looking at going to Australia on exchange and the the make or break decision was like if I get quote-unquote accepted to go on exchange in Australia then I'll go to Australia in my third year and then I didn't really see Korea as too much of an option but once you go on exchange you are pretty familiar with every single course and every single credit you need in order to graduate. And so when I got back from Australia, I looked at all my courses and I was like, oh, I actually have put myself in a really good position where I can front load all of my courses in the fall semester. And then I was able to take my last semester of courses fully online. And so as soon as that happened, I ended up actually getting accepted to go teach in Korea in the winter. So pretty much finished my exams in December, flew to Korea in January to start teaching. And it was not as hard as I thought it was going to be to balance being in school and then teaching full time because I ended up having a lot of free time. So I finished my courses. I actually had to write my one of my exams in the Canadian embassy in Seoul. But yeah, the process was pretty simple. Like the thought process of actually doing it was more, more so just, you know, I had so much fun in Australia and I want to be able to keep traveling. And I think at that point in time, I also still didn't really know what I wanted to do post-degree. And at that point, I had kind of figured out that I don't think I want to go into paramedicine. And then I was kind of debating, do I want to do more school? Do I want to go to Cairo? Do I want to do physio? Some people even go to med school after they, you know, finish a kindergree. But I decided that I don't want to go back to school and I figured that out during my time in Korea so it was kind of like an eat pray love kind of moment for me okay so you mentioned figuring out in Korea that you didn't want to go back to school were there any other things that that experience helped you understand what you were looking for in your career yeah so when I was teaching English in Korea I was like oh maybe I'll you know continue teaching English but in other countries and I think it was just a mix of, oh, like, I'm kind of tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore. But what I do want to do is be able to work remote. I don't really know the exact moment, but I just started reading articles about people teaching themselves how to code on their own, or they went to a boot camp for anywhere from like two to six months. And, you know, it's a fully immersive software development boot camp, and then getting their first software engineering job two months later. And to me, I was like, wow, this is so crazy because I feel like that's such a hard thing to do. Becoming a software engineer is so difficult. Like I probably have to go back to school and, you know, do a whole nother computer science degree or something like that. But spending a lot of time reading Medium articles and watching YouTube videos, that's kind of what did it for me of being like, wow, so many people do this and this is so doable. All I have to do is actually do the thing. And so while I was teaching in Korea, once I had finished school, I was, I was still there. I was still teaching. I was like, you know what? I'm, I have six months in Korea and I'm reading all these articles about people teaching themselves how to code online for free. MIT and Harvard, they have their entire computer science undergrad um, online for free and stuff like that. So, you know, figuring out what kind of online resources I can use. And then I'm like, at the end of this, maybe if I, if I really think that I can go into engineering, then... That'll be like my next move. And then when I come back home from Korea, 
I'll try to find a job, literally any job, preferably in tech, not necessarily an engineering job, but just in any tech company where I'm surrounded by engineers so that I can then like ask the engineer, hey, what did you learn? How did you, you know, get to where you are? Ask them for guidance because something that I have noticed about the tech community and engineering community is that everyone is really helpful and everyone is so willing to, you know, if you have questions, everyone wants to help you. Everyone wants to see you succeed. And I really love that. So that was kind of like the switch for me when I was in Korea to be like, yes, tech is where I want to go. And I think that engineering is something that I can do. It'll take a lot of work, a lot of commitment, and it won't be easy. But if I stick to it, then I can do it. Awesome. Okay. So at this point, you've finished or are finishing Laurier. And you now understand that you've identified tech and you've identified engineering. So how did you get to data analytics? What was it that kind of kickstarted that passion? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, one, I got really bored of taking all the intro to HTML, CSS, JavaScript courses. I've watched every single like Mosh programming YouTube crash course out there. And I finished all of that kind of stuff. And then I had gotten my first job at a tech company and I was doing, honestly, it was such boring stuff that I was doing. It was like onboarding new clients, putting their accounts together. I remember just spending a lot of time asking the engineers like, hey, what did you do? What are you doing? I probably annoyed them so much now that I think about it. Whenever I asked them, they'd be so responsive and they'd be so nice and they'd be so willing to help. That's kind of where it started. And then... At my company, they had an education stipend, which I think that most companies have. They have some type of money set aside so that you can, you know, take courses or buy books or something like that. So because I had already taken all of the intro to Python, Java, like whatever courses on my own time, there was one course, which was the intro to data analytics course at Brain Station. And I was like, oh, this sounds cool. I haven't really dove into data yet, but I, I feel like you know, then, and I, I think maybe still now, like data is such a, such a powerful tool and commodity. Data is kind of everything. That's all you hear about nowadays. So I figured this will be really interesting. And then maybe if I like it, I can kind of entertain like the data science route that I feel like everyone does, especially because data science is the sexiest career of the 21st century or whatever. I don't know which magazine said that, but I was like, oh, like maybe this is something that I can try out. Took the five week part-time course. And then I don't even remember, honestly, applying for Kickstarter, which was my first data role, because as soon as I finished the part-time course, I just started, you know, applying anywhere, just being like, I want to get just one interview, literally anywhere. And like, there's no way I'm ready because I just took this five-week course that taught me SQL and Tableau. And that was it. I barely know anything. But if I get one interview, I can at least know what companies are looking for in the data role. And so my first interview ended up being Kickstarter, which I fully thought was a scam. I had to look up the recruiter on LinkedIn and make sure they're like actually working at the company. So I went through the interview process and I actually kept it going to the next round. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Why did they say yes? I'm so confused. And then they ended up giving me the offer and I was like, wow, okay, maybe I was a lot more prepared for this than I thought I was. I don't know why I doubted myself. And that's kind of just how I ended up in, in data, honestly. It was such a wild journey. I feel like I was learning how to ride a bike and I accidentally went down a hill and I just never stopped. And then I entered like, the Tour de France or something. Wow, that's a, uh, that is a great metaphor. <laughs> you used that one before? 
No, actually, I've never used that one before. That's fantastic. So now you're working as an associate data analytics engineer at Spotify. So how did you find that opportunity and how did that come up? So I think a really important thing to note is that job titles are made up. Even though I was a data analyst at Kickstarter, I was doing a mix of data analytics as well as a little bit of data engineering. And then there comes this happy medium called analytics engineering. So that's my official title at Spotify is I'm an analytics engineer. And so the way that I got into that is because at Kickstarter, we were using this tool called DBT. I would say DBT has opened up the, the world of analytics engineering at a lot of modern data companies or companies that have like modern data stacks. And so I fell in love with that part of my job at Kickstarter. And I remember asking my manager, like, I was super on the data analyst to data scientist track, but I think I really like this side a lot more. And so, you know, getting really fond of like the analytics that I was doing at Kickstarter, which at the time I didn't even really know was analytics engineering. I remember asking my manager at the time, I was like, hey, I want to be an analytics engineer. And then he looks at me, he's like, Sydney, you've been working here for a year. Let's Let's get you ramped up on the rest of, you know, data analytics as an analyst first, and then maybe we can talk about becoming an analytics engineer. And I think I'm a little, I wouldn't say like hot-headed, but I'm a little stubborn and I'm like, hey, I think I'm ready. I don't really care what you say. I'm, I think that I can do this. I don't like that you're doubting my abilities. And so I just started applying to analytics engineering roles. It was mainly because I wanted to learn like, okay, since he's saying that I can't be an analytics engineer yet, what do companies look for in analytics engineers? And then at the time I saw that, so my role originally was a mid-level role for the analytics engineer at Spotify. And I remember responding to the job posting because my now manager had posted it in the DBT Slack community, you know, channel. I messaged him and I was like, hey, I am wondering if you guys had the capacity to bring on a newer analytics engineer instead of the five years of experience they were looking for in, in an analytics engineer. And surprisingly, he was like, yeah, like you feel like you want to apply, do it anyways. And then we can talk more, you know, if you get to the interviewing stage. And then same thing with Kickstarter, interview after interview, they kept wanting me to come back. And then I got the job and I was like, wait a second, why am I biking beside Lance Armstrong? <laughs> awesome. And yeah, for anyone who is interested to get more information about that hiring process at Spotify, Sydney has a Medium article that we'll link below. So if you are more interested in that process, you can check that out. So coming from someone who's taken such a big shift in kind of where your career was starting to where it's ended up at this point, what kind of advice would you give to someone who thinks that they might want to change their career path or they're currently in a university program that maybe they're thinking, this isn't going to be what I'm working in long term? I think that my biggest piece of advice, the thing I would want to say is imposter syndrome is so real. And I think that people that you wouldn't even imagine, everyone goes through imposter syndrome you know, I still experience it every single day. You know, it's been like that for the past like two years. And I think that it's just a matter of understanding how much work you have put into, you know, get to where you are and how much work it will take to kind of get to where you want to go. And 
you know, also a piece on like managing burnout, because I think that's really important. But, you know, that's for another time. I think it's just about taking leaps, honestly. Like I think someone, when I told one of my friends that I got this job at Spotify, I was like, this is so crazy. Like, I'm so lucky. Everything just happened to like work out. I cannot believe how lucky I got to, you know, get this job. And they had mentioned, they're like, oh, it's not luck. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. You were prepared for the things that had happened to you and you were able to take that opportunity. And I think that being like so open-minded is such an important thing, especially if you want to make a really big change like that. You know, even if you are doing a degree that you don't really see a future in, I, I mean, I hope that you're enjoying it at least. And I think that for anybody who kind of feels similarly like, my mentor who you know has helped me so much i just had a meeting with her yesterday even and you know i'm pretty sure she has a degree in like poli sci and literature or something like that and she's the head of data at you know dvt and stuff like that so don't bog yourself down just because you don't have a computer science degree and you want to get into tech or because you don't have a business degree and you know you want to get into business and stuff like that you're only as limited as you limit yourself if that makes sense right yeah, and I really like what you said about preparation meeting opportunity. That's a cool way to look at that. So my final question as we kind of wrap up our time here, this is a question I like to ask everyone who comes on the podcast because I get a whole kind of different array of answers. So my question to you is how you define success for yourself. And this could be in terms of your career or just however you choose to take it. How I define success. I feel like over the past few years, my idea of success was kind of skewed. And it was, you know, the reputation of, you know, how good the company I work at is, or how, you know, what my job title is, and things like that. And I think that comes from the idea of, you know, growing up Asian American, or Asian Canadian, like immigrant household, and more so now, I think the way that I would want to define success is like, as long as I'm happy, and as long as I am energized by the things that I'm doing in my day to day, then I think that that is more successful than, you know, constantly feeling like you're not good enough and burning yourself out just because you want other people to see you a certain way. You really have to enjoy what you do because this is your life. It's not anyone else's life and no one's going to live your life for you. Um, So go out and like do the things that you enjoy. And I think that if you can have a well-balanced life and sustain happiness in that way it's going to be so much more fulfilling than defining success through money fame you know ambition like all that kind of stuff you gotta you got one life you should enjoy it (laughs) absolutely and that's a great place to leave it as well so thank you sydney thank you so much for taking the time to be here to come on Uh, we really appreciate that Mm -hmm. thanks for having me Yeah, and just to flag it once again for anyone who's interested in learning more about these subjects or who's just interested in how Sydney was able to get the job at Spotify, we'll put her Medium article uh, in the description below so you guys can check that out. Yeah, and feel free to message me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to answer any questions that anyone has. Amazing. All right, well, thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me.